From my flagship station, WGAU in Athens, Georgia, I'm Eric Erickson across the state, the nation, and around the world on Facebook Live. Welcome. Good morning. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be a part of the program, the Dow Jones skyrocketed yesterday. Um, it, it actually... It's doing a good job, the Dow Jones is, the economy going up. Um, there's The president has an argument to make for re-election on the economy alone. This was on CNBC yesterday. Well, you're right. The economy is his ticket to getting re-elected. And look what we're having. The economy continues to defy all expectations. From the moment he first imposed tariffs on China, people were predicting the sky would fall and the economy would stall and the stock market would crash and unemployment would skyrocket. None of that has happened because what we're seeing is that as jobs come back to America and wages increase and people have more spending power, consumer optimism is at an all-time high, small business optimism is high, and that's what's propelling the economy. And, of course, China wants to get rid of these tariffs. They've been pushing because that's the only thing that's gotten them to the negotiating table. Yes, and now it looks like we may have struck a deal with China, which may send the Dow higher today. Uh, the Chinese and the Trump administration agreeing uh, one for one, uh, get rid of tariffs, uh, lower prices on both sides. If so, that will spur the economy on further and will calm international markets that have been worried about recessionary fears. That, too, could help the president. You know, by all economic metric, this president should be coasting to re-election. That he's not should be something Republicans wonder about. It has nothing to do with the, the national of, of the American electorate and, and American politics, uh, it has to do with a lot of people just don't like this president and what can he do between now and November to convince people that, uh, you know, the Democrats, you may not like him, but the Democrats are worse. It goes back to that advertisement that he ran during the World Series that that you may not like him, but sometimes it takes a Trump to clean up Washington. I think that's going to be their message. By the way, this hour is brought to you by First Liberty of Georgia. It doesn't matter where you are in the nation. If you're a small or medium-sized business and you want to grow, you need to access to capital. Sometimes that means you need a loan and you don't want to deal with the bank. You don't want to deal with bank bureaucracy. You can go to First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan, Georgia. That's right. They're in Georgia if you're in Georgia, but you can be anywhere in the nation. Talk to my friends, the Frost family. Tell them I sent you and work with them on your business loan and they can help. Go to firstlibertyga.com. Thanks to First Liberty of Georgia and the Frost family for sponsoring the program. The economy looks like it could help the president, but uh, there are still these worrying signs out there in the heartland. So the president has gone to Louisiana to campaign for um, the Republican nominee in Louisiana. There is a runoff in Louisiana. Now, I'm from Louisiana. And just so you know, Louisiana elections are somewhat uh, interesting. (laughs) Um, So the way Louisiana elections used to work is you would have an election, and it was a jungle primary. A jungle primary is every one of every party piles on the same ballot, and the top two vote-getters go into the runoff. And, and the way it was typically scheduled was that the runoff would be uh, on Election Day. And if someone got over 50%, there was no election on Election Day. And this applied to Congress. This applied to uh, everyone other than president. And that became problematic in the state, and there was a lawsuit filed back when I was in college, I think, that that uh, opposed it. And the reason being is because the U.S. Constitution says the election for federal offices is the is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. 
Well, everybody was having their elections prior to that, and you could have someone with over 50% win, and so there was no election on the ballot in Louisiana, and uh, the Supreme Court said they couldn't do that. So they shook things up, and now you have in in odd-numbered years, when it's just state contests, you have an election in October, and then you have a runoff the week after everyone else votes. It's very, very screwed up. Louisiana, you got to remember, has a Napoleonic system. Uh, It has a civil code. Uh, Louisiana has a constitution, but it also has a separate section of law called the the Louisiana uh, Civil Code. It's It's a byproduct of the French system where you have statutes, but those statutes have to be read in light of the civil code. And it's hard to change. It's harder to change the civil code than the Constitution to a degree in Louisiana, just uh, because of philosophy in the the way the state works. But the governor or the, the president has gone to Louisiana now with this weird election system. The election is on Tuesday this coming week. Uh, John Bell Edwards is the Democrat incumbent. He beat David Vitter. If you'll recall, David Vitter had been a, a U.S. senator and Vitter had women problems and people thought the women problems had been set aside. But then as Vitter became the uh, nominee for the Republican Party, shortly thereafter, a number of other people came forward and said that uh, Vitter was having still having all the women problems he supposedly had set aside. The uh, opponent to John Bell Edwards is Eddie Rispon. He is a uh, Republican businessman. He's a longtime Republican donor, spent a lot of money. Uh, I don't think he was the strongest Republican candidate, but he made it into the prime, into the runoff after the jungle primary. The president goes to Louisiana and he has some help. The president has some help in Louisiana in the name of Joe Biden, because Joe Biden went to Louisiana before the president. Joe Biden went to Louisiana before the president and said this. Oil and gas revenue is a big topic here for Louisiana right now. You dealt with this when you were in the Senate. You dealt with this when you were vice president. How important, what would you do if elected to make sure Louisiana gets its fair share of oil and gas revenue as so much drilling is done off the Louisiana coast right now? Well, first of all, I think the drilling off the coast over time has to end up being phased out. We have to provide alternatives here. But the fact is that oil, the, the places that are taking the hit for the supplying the nation with energy needs should be compensated and the, the, where, where it comes from. So I've never argued against that proposition. What I have argued against is the notion that the answer to this is to find more fossil fuels to burn. The fact of the matter is you're going to have your state and mine are going to be mostly underwater. We're about three, three, three feet above sea level. The fact is that, in fact, the seas are rising. We got, according to the U.M. report, about 11 years left before it becomes irredeemable. And we have to take drastic action now. For example, we, we should have over a half a million charging stations around the country that you could have electric vehicles to plug in. The reason why people aren't buying them, where, where, do, you, where, where do you refuel? Right. Okay? So there's a lot of practical things we can do quickly. And I think we should be doing a lot more in terms of tripling the offshore wind capacity that exists in the nation. I don't think we need more offshore drilling. Um, and I think we should focus on, but we have to find transitions for people who are hurt by it. Just like where I come from in Scranton coal mines or in West Virginia, you have to transition. But we cannot continue, cannot continue to burn fossil fuels at the rate we're doing now. Okay. Louisiana's biggest industries are oil and natural gas. If you drive from 
south of New Orleans. So when I was a kid, uh, when I was five, we moved to Dubai. I grew up in Dubai, actually. Uh, five to 15 lived in Dubai uh, in the 80s, uh, but would come home during the summer to East Lucena Parish, which is a very rural parish. Uh, most of the people there are, are employed by the state in uh, prisons and, and other capacities. And uh, we would go during the summer down to Grand Isle. Grand Isle is a barrier island in South Louisiana, and it takes a it is a drive to get there. Um, think of driving from wherever you are in the state of Georgia right now to Amelia Island, Florida. Um, except it's, it's rural, it's through sugarcane fields and Joe Biden is right. The, the sea levels are rising in Louisiana, but it has as much to do with Louisiana sinking as it does with sea levels rising. Uh, South Louisiana, uh, is a swamp and because of the levee system that was built, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s to control flooding in South Louisiana, a lot of the uh, sediment no longer flows into the swamp parts of Louisiana to settle to build land. It washes out to sea, and so you're getting settlement further and further out uh, into the Gulf of Mexico, and that has a lot to do with the problems in Louisiana. In fact, uh, Christmas tree recycling is huge in Louisiana. As kids, uh, after our our Christmas trees were done, uh, if we would come home for Christmas— uh, from Dubai for Christmas occasionally, and then family and friends who were there, and after we moved back to Louisiana, you would recycle your Christmas trees, and they would be taken down to South Louisiana, and they would be put inside fences uh, in the water to help attract the sediment to reclaim the land and prevent erosion. You drive down south of um, of New Orleans, and you get to the town of Venice. Venice is, I mean, it is on a clump of land, and it is surrounded on all sides by water, and Venice is slowly washing away. The Mississippi River surrounds it. Uh, Yellowcotton Bay surrounds it. Uh, you drive up from Venice. It is a long road up through Port Sulphur all the way up to New Orleans. You go through Belchase. You go through Chalmette. You go through Araby. You go through Gretna. You get to New Orleans. You get to the Crescent City, and then you can hit the interstate. And you can go across to Texas, you can go across to Florida, or you can go up to Baton Rouge, you can go up to Mississippi. That whole area, everything you will see are flames in the night sky if you drive. There are towers with flames, and and those are petrochemical plants that are burning off um, poisonous gases and other things with these flames in the smokestacks. The entire place is covered in these. Between my house and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is a 45-minute drive where my parents live, up in rural Louisiana, uh, in East Louisiana Parish, uh, you drive, you take Highway 61, which is a a federal highway that connects uh, the Natchez Trace, essentially, in Natchez, Mississippi, uh, down through Louisiana, rides along the Mississippi River, along the bluffs, the the highlands of Louisiana. This is the, the highest part of Louisiana, these rolling hills that come down out of Mississippi, where I grew up. And you will encounter an ExxonMobil oil refinery that's one of the largest in the nation. You'll encounter a BASF petrochemical plant. You'll encounter a Georgia Pacific and James River uh, wood pulp plants. You'll encounter Chevron. You'll encounter uh, Phillips Conoco. You will encounter more Exxon. You'll encounter a a Dow chemical plant, a DuPont plant. Lots and lots of petrochemical plants dependent on the petrochemical industry in Louisiana, dependent on the oil and gas industry. And here comes Joe Biden saying we got to stop with the fossil fuels. Says that in Louisiana. 
Now, part of this, let's be honest here, Joe Biden uh, has no chance of winning Louisiana. Uh, John Bell Edwards may win re-election next week, but that doesn't mean that Joe Biden is going to win Louisiana. Uh, the Democrats are not very popular in Louisiana. That There is no polling to suggest that they're competitive in Louisiana, but it does not help him and it does not help John Bell Edwards, the incumbent Democratic governor for Joe Biden to come down and say, hey, we need to get rid of your fossil fuel industry. We need to curtail that. Well, the president picked that up after Joe Biden said it. The president last night in Louisiana on the campaign trail decided to make an issue of it. Meanwhile, every top Democrat running for president has pledged to abolish all American production of oil and natural gas, shipping thousands of your state's energy jobs overseas that's all they're doing but louisiana will not give them that chance we are reversing decades of disastrous trade policies louisiana lost one in four manufacturing jobs after the twin disasters of nafta and china's entrance into the world trade organization past leaders did not care one bit what happened to those Louisiana communities because they were getting rich by sacrificing your wealth to other countries. You remember, we talk about it all the time. But under this administration, the great betrayal is over. America is no longer for sale. That message is going to resonate in South Louisiana. It is a, a state that was hit by Katrina in 2005. Its shrimping industry never really recovered. More and more, you drive down to South Louisiana, drive down south of Abbeville, south of Lafayette, go down to Generette, New Iberia, Morgan City, go down to Gibson, Bourges, Thero, Dulac. These are little towns you here in Georgia have never heard of. They're little towns I've been to. In some, you can still see the fishing boats in the trees from Katrina. You, you actually can. You can see the fishing boats and the shrimp boats in the trees. You can see that they have, a lot of them have been out of employment because China is now competing in the shrimping industry with Louisiana, Mississippi, and along the Gulf Coast. They, they bring over cheaper Chinese shrimp. They flood the American market. Other presidents let them. You see towns that are collapsing because the water is rising and everyone says it's global warming. But if you go to Louisiana and, and you live there, you know it really isn't global warming. It has to do a lot with sedimentary erosion and the way the, the levee system works and the lack of, of overtime historic flooding into the swamp of the Atchafalaya Basin. And here comes a Democratic presidential candidate saying, you you got to get rid of the industry you all turn to when your boats were lifted by high water into the trees and never came back down. It's not going to go over well with people. And it doesn't help that Joe Biden is the most reasonable Democrat out there right now. You've got Elizabeth Warren coming out saying all you people who transitioned into these other industries and then got wealthy after living lives in poverty. You know, she, she completely ignores the fact that there are lots of people in South Louisiana. They they started driving north. They went up to Raceland. They, they went up to Baton Rouge. They went up to New Orleans. They got jobs in the petrochemical plants, and they started making money. And now she said, well, your taxes need to go up. Your boats are still in trees from Katrina 20 years ago, but or 10, 15 years ago. But now you're making money, so you need to be punished. 
It's not going to help, and it's not going to help the Democrats. And there is actually some data out there, uh, the New York Times is picking up on in some of the polling, that you know a lot of the, these non-voters, people who are registered, and they're registered and listed as Democrat, when you poll the people who haven't been to vote in 15, 20 years and find out why you haven't been to vote, you know what? Turns out a lot of these people, an overwhelming number of them actually like Donald Trump. They're still not going to go vote. Listen, I don't hold your breath. People who haven't voted tend not to vote. And they're not going to go vote. The president can pour uh, umpteen resources into getting these people to go vote. And, and some of them will, but most of them won't because they've never voted. They're not going to go vote. They don't know how to vote. They don't know where to vote. But it should be troubling as much as the media is fixating on the collapse of the Republican Party in the suburbs. And there is a story to tell there that should concern the Republicans. There is a story to tell among black, Hispanic and Hispanic voters who are more and more put off by the highly educated white college educated voter that's moving Democrat. And the Republicans Despite the media narrative that all hope is lost, the reality is that they've got inroads if they can figure it out. It may not be Donald Trump who can be the messenger there. But there's real hope long-term for the Republicans building a coalition of conservative black and Hispanic voters who are increasingly alienated from a Democratic Party whose front-runner goes to Louisiana and tells them, you've got to abandon the careers that you move to after your shrimp boats sank or went into trees. Hello there. Uh, you know, the president did campaign down in Louisiana last night. Uh, he had some good one-liners, fired up the crowd. He was there for a long time, sweating on stage, among other things. Uh, listen to some of the president on the whistleblower, among other things. I've got some thoughts on the whistleblower. A lot of things have happened because, you know, I don't know if you saw, I just got off. I'm coming off the plane and they hand me, look at this character. Okay, they just hand me the story. Who has started? Whistleblower's attorney said in 2017. You know when that was? That was a long time ago. It's all a hoax. They say January 2017, a coup has started and the impeachment will follow ultimately. It's all a, it's all a hoax. It's a scam. And you know who helps them? These people right back here, the media. And then it said, oops, the light's going to go off. The CNN light is going to go off. It said, from the lawyer, a sleazeball. It said, I predict at CNN will play a key role in at real Donald Trump. Not finishing out his first time. Can you believe this? This is a whole, and this was done a long time ago. Then he goes, as one falls, two more will take their place, referring to outgoing Trump administration employees who, by the way, have been put through hell by the sleaze back there and by crooked politicians. Uh-huh. Got the crowd booing. By the way, you should know on, on the CNN light thing, um, he, he actually... I, I don't want to get into fact-checking the president. It, it, it's a good speech and fires people up, but there are no lights on the cameras uh, in the crowd, and the crowd eats it up. So basically, if you go on a TV set, most people may not realize, if you go on a TV set, uh, when your camera is active, there's a red light on top of the camera, and you know your camera's live. Well, the cameras they take to remotes don't have the red light. 
And the presidents used to be on sets where they have the red lights. And he says, look, they've got the red lights turned off uh, now that I'm attacking them. And the crowd goes wild and boos and harasses CNN. There's no red light on the cameras that they take to remote locations. (laughs) Every time it drives the CNN reporters crazy that he says that you should see them all passive aggressive with him. You know, the state legislature meets, um, they, they begin meeting in January. They're going to be a host of uh, packages on health care and the like. And if you want to stay informed on what's happening in the legislature as they meet, one of the things I'd like to do is try to make it easy for you to connect with your state legislator. And one of the best ways to do that is to sign up for our activist list. And it's not a list where you get a lot of emails. Um, but when there's a matter before the state legislature you need to know about, you will get an email with a link you can click and you'll be able to connect directly to your member of the state legislature. Uh, in fact, the, the way this click works, it's so awesome. It's such great technology. Um, you click and it says, what's your zip code? You put in your zip code and it says, here's your member of the state legislature. Do you want to contact them on Facebook, on Twitter, or call them? And we make it all easy. You do it on your cell phone. Very, very easy. Um, But it's great when the legislature comes back in session. So text the word ARMY to 33777 if you want to sign up. Uh, The only time you'll get emails off this list is when there's an activist item uh, and you need to take action. We make it very easy for you to be active in politics without having to go out and knock on doors and show up at the state capitol and stuff. You'll still get your voice out. Text ARMY to 33777. A little more from the president last night. At the top of the hour, uh, we've got Governor Kemp. I'm terrible at teasing. I should have done this earlier. But Governor Brian Kemp, uh, I interviewed him actually late yesterday. Um, He wasn't available this morning. He had to be on the road. But I wanted to get you the interview I conducted with Governor Kemp last evening uh, about health care in Georgia, the health care reform plan he wants to do, and uh, the economic successes. A year ago, a year ago, we were all waking up to find out he had beaten Stacey Abrams. Uh, And in that year, he has uh, turned himself from being in the shadows of the president to being his own man. A little more from the president last night in Louisiana. In their campaign to transform America, Democrats are becomingly increasingly totalitarian, suppressing dissent, defaming the innocent, eliminating due process, staging show trials, and trying to overthrow American democracy to impose their socialist agenda. Make no mistake, if the Democrats get back in, you will have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen before, and you are doing well. How are your 401ks doing, by the way? You wouldn't feel at all angry if they went down in half, and then in another year, half of that. That's what's going to happen. First it was the Russia hoax, then it was Mueller. Remember Mueller with that hoax. The biggest lie ever foistered upon the American people, okay? But everybody stuck with us. If anything, we became more popular. You know, listening to this, there's one thing I would do different. The president spends less time touting their 401ks that are super good right now under his presidency, uh, and he spends more time attacking the Democrats. And the president's got such a good case to make for his reelection. I mean, really, just objectively so. Uh, You may dislike the president, but just think about it. Uh, The stock market is at all-time highs. 
People's 401ks are soaring. We're at record low unemployment, record low black unemployment, record low Asian unemployment, record low Hispanic unemployment, record low female unemployment, record low male unemployment, record low white unemployment. We've got uh, companies paying higher wages now because they're trying to keep workers. So wages have gone up. Uh, You've got 401ks have gone up. You've got uh, on and on it goes. He's got a great economic message. I mean, right now, so I, I'm on it. If you're listening in delay here, uh, not my fault. Talk to your local station. It is 9.39 a.m., and the Dow is already up 170 points, 169.73. That's That's where the Dow Jones is today. That's actually really good. It's great. Virtually, I mean, every index is up right now. The the New York Stock Exchange, the Dow, uh, the S&P, the NASDAQ, they're all up this morning. Now, things will change. The day is early. But I, I if I could encourage the president on one thing, and, and again, I, I listen, some of you are going to email me. You're going to say, why, why don't you tell them? Why don't you? I've told them. I have told them. I think when the president does this, he enjoys beating up. Let, let, me, let me give you some, some, some insider knowledge here. The president really enjoys the attacks on the Democrats. And it's not that the president enjoys the attacks for the sake of the attacks. The president enjoys the attacks because the crowd loves the attacks. I mean, let me play this clip again. Just don't listen to what the president's saying. Now, listen to what the crowd is doing as the president's talking. In their campaign to transform America, Democrats are becomingly increasingly totalitarian, suppressing dissent, defaming the innocent, eliminating due process, staging show trials, and trying to overthrow American democracy to impose their socialist agenda. And the crowd jeers. Make no mistake, if the Democrats get back in, you will have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen before, and you are doing well. How are your 401ks doing, by the way? And then they cheer, they jeer. And then they cheer. You wouldn't feel at all angry if they went down in half. And then in another year, half of that. That's what's going to happen. More booing. First it was the Russia hoax. Then it was Mueller. Remember Mueller with that hoax. More jeers. The biggest lie ever foistered upon the American people. Okay? But everybody stuck with us. If anything, we became more popular. See how he's got the crowd going? They jeer and then they cheer and then they jeer and then they cheer and then they jeer and then they cheer. It's back and forth. The president loves this. He loves being able to get the crowd that worked up. He loves, he feeds off the energy of the crowd. And the crowd, that their, their hatred of the Democrats right now is something that fires them up and the president feeds off that energy. So he focuses a lot of his time on attacking the Democrats and really doesn't spend a lot of time on his own accomplishments. He doesn't spend a lot of time on the economy. It's a throwaway line. You got the Democrat totalitarianism, bad. Democrats, bad. Wreck the economy, raise taxes, bad. Hey, how are your 401ks doing? Yeah! Mueller, Mueller, bad. Investigation, bad. You should spend a little more time on on the economy and and jobs. And and, and that's not to say he didn't do that last night. He did. He just spent way more time attacking the other side. And then during the term, sleepy Joe Biden, who's dumb as a rock, (laughs) said you fired the guy, you get a billion dollars. You don't fire the guy, you get nothing. And it's on tape, and the press refuses to print it. You talk quid pro quo. 
You fire the guy, you get a billion. You don't fire, you get nothing. Think of that one. Okay, that's called quid pro quo. Not here. That was said by Joe Biden to get rid of the prosecutor in Ukraine who was looking at his son who just got thrown out of the Navy, who was paid millions and millions of dollars even though he had absolutely no energy experience. In Louisiana, in Louisiana, you wouldn't have hired him in your energy companies. They would have paid to keep him the hell out, okay? He had no experience. How old is your son? How old is that young man there? How old are you? He's pointing to a young kid in the crowd. How, how old? old? Yeah. Eight. Let me tell you, he's eight. He knows energy better than Joe Biden's son. <laughs> so, yes, I should have done a better job setting the stage for this. There's a, there's a kid in the crowd. They've been there the entire day so they can get up front. And as he's going on about Joe Biden and he's going on about Hunter Biden, he sees the kid in the crowd. He's holding up a Trump side. He says to the man, how old is your kid? He's eight. He knows more about him than Joe Biden's son. <laughs> Listen, th- this is this is what I know people who hate the president and love to go to presidential rallies with Donald Trump uh, because they are that entertaining. They are that entertaining. But again, Again, I, I think that the president needs to spend a little more time on his policies and his accomplishments and a little less time just attacking the Democrats for the sake of attacking the Democrats. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. And it riles up the crowd and he feeds off the energy. I get it. But he's got a message to sell. Uh, one more from the president. These are I call them now the do nothing Democrats. We have loopholes that they could solve in 15 minutes. We could sit down loopholes, catch and release chain migration you know that's when you come in and then everybody you ever met in the history of the world comes in with you your mother your grandfather your cousin your brother your aunt your uncle any person that ever met you come on into our country we had a man on the west side highway i don't even call him a man i call him an animal he ran over a lot of people he turned right going up very very fast speed but we had this beautiful park in new york city and he killed i think eight people They never talk about the people that lost their legs, that lost their arms, that are permanently disfigured. They never talk about that. They say eight people were killed. They don't talk about people. These are people that want to keep themselves in shape and they're running and they're running and they're all over. And then this maniac turns to the right going at an unbelievable speed and he kills people and he horribly injures people. And we can't let this happen. We can't let it happen. Listen, you may not like the president, but he does have a point there. And the question is whether or not this is enough to shift the balance. Now, you should know, you should know that the Democrats are, the media, they're still trying to, Politico actually has a story out about how the media is biased against Elizabeth Warren. The media is not biased against Elizabeth Warren. For God's sakes, they're the ones who've been trying to make her happen. And now suddenly they're, oh, the, me- the, the media is upset. The media is upset. Oh, the, the, the media is trying to get her. Uh, I'm, I'm, no, they've been trying to, to get Elizabeth Warren elected. And now they're upset with who? Joe Biden. Why are they upset with Joe Biden? The media is upset with Joe Biden because Biden 
is now going on the attack against Elizabeth Warren. Joe Biden is desperate. He's behind in Iowa. Did you know, by the way, that um, hardly anyone who has won the Iowa caucuses have gone on to win the presidency? Bill Clinton lost the Iowa caucus and went on to become president. Michael Dukakis lost the Iowa, uh, Iowa caucuses and went on to be the Democratic nominee. The Iowa caucuses, they're not substantial. What the Iowa caucus is, though, you do need to understand the way the caucuses work is their organizational skill. It's a test of organizational skill of candidates. Can you organize enough to get people to show up and hang out and stay all night to support a candidate? Can you get people there and get them to stay? If you can do that, it's a pretty good organizational sign. Barack Obama did win the Iowa caucuses in 2008 against Hillary Clinton, and that was an organizational sign uh, that they would be able to mobilize the vote against Hillary Clinton. Uh, Joe Biden right now looks like he's running fourth in Iowa. But again, um, you've got, I, I think John Kerry, maybe John Kerry did win the Iowa caucuses, but Bill Clinton lost it. Michael Dukakis lost it. Um, you don't have to win the Iowa caucus. Now, there are a lot of people in the media who love Iowa, and they think Iowa is a big deal, and they think that Iowa is totally representative of the Democratic Party, never mind that it's completely filled with white people, no black and Hispanic people, and somehow you got to win Iowa, and Elizabeth Warren looks like she may be winning Iowa. She's putting the, the coalition together to win Iowa, and now they're upset with Joe Biden for not engaging in Iowa and for daring to attack Elizabeth Warren. If you don't agree with Elizabeth Warren, you must how somehow be uh, be uh, um, not a Democrat. You must somehow be corrupt. You must not be as smart as she is. It's not who we are. And it's just an elitist attitude about you either my way or the highway. You mustn't be, you mustn't know what you're talking about if you disagree with well, but He's calling Elizabeth Warren elitist. That she doesn't listen to people. And by the way, this is this is one of the big uh, complaints about Elizabeth Warren right now is that she doesn't listen to people and that she is very isolated, that she is very out there. Um, and she's trying her best on the campaign trail to change that around. Uh, in fact, on the campaign trail now, Elizabeth Warren is out there. She's talking about her Oklahoma roots instead of Harvard. Uh, she's talking about the Okies. She's talking about drinking beer. Um, and she's talking about wanting to listen to people. But... Elizabeth Warren has a reputation in the Senate of not listening, and it comes across on the campaign trail, and her opponents are starting to pick up on this. It, it's her way or the highway, and that's going to be the weakness that they go after. She has not been well vetted. You need to understand this about Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren has not been vetted by the media because the media has loved her all along, and the vetting is beginning. And one of the big things that all the focus groups say bothers them about Elizabeth Warren is that she doesn't seem like she listens to people. And that's going to come back to haunt her. Remember this hour sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia, First Liberty Building and Loan. You can go to their website, firstlibertyga.com. If you're a small or medium-sized business, you want to grow to a big business, you need access to capital. You hate bank bureaucracy. First Liberty of Georgia can help you out without all the bank bureaucracy you hate. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com. There's some breaking news happening right now this morning. Uh, CBS News has fired the employee who leaked the ABC News tape. The what? Huh? What? How? What? This tape. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, 
we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Uh, that was an ABC News reporter who did this interview with uh, a Jeffrey Epstein whistleblower. ABC News buried the interview. They wanted access to Will and Kate. And Buckingham Palace said they wouldn't get it if they ran a story like that that they thought smeared Prince Andrew. So they ditched the story and it went nowhere. Well, an, uh, a reporter or a, an employee leaked it to Project Veritas, James O'Keefe's group. And that employee went to work for CBS. CBS has now fired that employee. So let, let's get this straight. ABC had a story. They covered up the story um, and it was exposed. And now CBS, which also has refused to cover Jeffrey Epstein, uh, has now fired the employee who exposed it. But hey, there's this. He opened up about what he's learned and the bigger message he wants the world to hear. What do you feel people need to hear the most from this story? I think that what people need to hear is just the truth. That's the first time he's given a detailed account, an account that Chicago police have said has been consistent. He hasn't changed his story. They also said it's credible. Police have said that and also that he has been very cooperative. If the attackers are never found, how will you be able to heal? Um, I don't know. Let's just hope that they are. And he, I asked him about if there were other possible threats that he had, threats that he had received, and he did talk about the letter that was sent to the Fox studio where Empire is sent. Police have confirmed that letter, and we'll show it to you. And why do you think you were targeted? I can just assume. I mean, I come really, really hard against forty-five. He was really excited when he saw. The camera. There's no way he yeah. could have known the camera no. was turned away. No, they didn't know. Detectives didn't know until, and it was inside the casing. It was facing in the other direction, and he had no idea about that. And the vast majority of people have been supportive and loving and understanding. What, there's many reasons why Jesse wanted to sit down and do this. First was to say thank you to his many supporters, to answer the questions, uh, the, the critics, but also um, the, the times that he came emotional is when he was talking about gay youth and the LGBTQ community. What? Is it that has you so angry? Is it the the attackers? But he was seen pretty forthcoming. He did not. Nothing was out of bounds. There was nothing that I could not could not ask. And there is no doubt in your mind what motivated this attack. I could only go off of their words. A lot of questions have been raised as well. Oh, absolutely. A lot of questions, especially about the timing of the 911 call, about the phone, the phone records, and Jesse addresses all of that. And as I said earlier, the police have said he's been consistent, that he has been credible, that he has been cooperative. That was, uh, what's her name? Um, Robin, what's her name? Suddenly my, it, it's listening me. Ro- Robin Roberts, Robin Roberts. On, uh, as, as, uh, Dave Chappelle would say, the Frenchman, Jussi Smoulet. She's never been disciplined for that. She, ABC News gave her a complete pass to peddle the lies of Jesse Smollett and that Trump supporters attacked him in Chicago. And we know it's not true. We know it's not true. 
And they never disciplined her for that. Meanwhile, they bury a story about Jeffrey Epstein. Why? Now, there are a lot of people out there. You, you need to understand there, there are a number of people out there who say that uh, the Jesse Smollett, um, that that story, it was important. Uh, it set the stage for for black paranoia about the president or, or black angst about the president, I should say, and, and blah, 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 blah. And so it was a legit story, even though he turned out to be lying or whatever. Uh, and that this story, there are a lot of people said, oh, they're, they're covering for the Clintons. They, they blocked it. They blocked it when they blocked it three years ago because it would have been damaging Hillary Clinton. I don't think that's the case at all. I really don't actually think that's the case at all. I think there are other people beyond the Clintons that they wanted to protect. I think there are other people out there who could be impacted. And I think that the lawyers at ABC News, they didn't want to fight and they should have fought. ABC wanted access to the royal family and to other people who would have been smeared by this. And they probably wanted to protect friends of theirs as well. It's all well and good for these news outlets to say that they speak truth to power, but we are every once in a while reminded, like with this story, uh, that they don't really do that. They only speak truth to power when it can't hurt them. Uh, They're cowards. They're cowards, and they're in it for the money. When we come back, Governor Brian Kemp stops by. After a year in office, one-year anniversary, what's the economy looking like in Georgia and his health care plan? Y'all, I would like to thank Quip for sponsoring this week's show. Y'all, I love my Quip toothbrush. I bragged about it forever. I continue to brag about Quip because it is a great toothbrush. In fact, I took a trip this past weekend. My Quip went with me, obviously. It goes with me everywhere. And I really do get two minutes of brushing my teeth. Now, if you're not familiar with Quip, Quip is actually, it's the size of a regular toothbrush. It works on two AAA batteries. They send you the battery or one AAA battery. They send it with the Quip. And it just works. Your toothbrush gives you great sonic vibrations for two minutes. It pulses for every 30, every 30 seconds it pulses so that you know to switch it around in your mouth to to get an even brushing. My dentist, my orthodontist, they both think I've been bleaching my teeth. I haven't. I've just been brushing really, really well because the Quip vibrations are great to clean and the pulse makes sure that I know I've got two minutes to go. It turns itself off after two minutes and it makes sure that I'm getting an even cleaning by, by pulsing every 30 seconds as I switch it around. If you haven't quite tri- qu- bleh, haven't tried Quip, let me slow down. If you haven't tried Quip, you should. You really actually should. Uh, it's a great toothbrush. I've tried the $100 supersonic toothbrushes. Nothing comes close to the Quip toothbrush. Nothing has incentivized me to get a two-minute brush into my teeth like Quip. You'll find that's the case with you, my wife, my kids. We've all got Quips. Quip starts at just $25. You can get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's a simple way to support the show. It's a simple way to get a better toothbrush. You go to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson, and you'll get a refill free. Your brush head, every three months, they'll send you a new one. Your first one will be free. Go right now to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Take advantage of this great deal. Thanks to Quip for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. Also on Facebook Live at E.W. Erickson. You can get me on social media pretty much anywhere at E.W. Erickson. The phone number, if you would like to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the number. This hour is brought to you by Dynamic Money. 
you do a sponsorship on the program, it takes me about 15 seconds to tell you. I, I, I want to spend just a moment here because uh, Chris Burns is a friend and uh, he actually is my financial planner. Uh, I suck at money. Uh, I, I, you know, I had this discussion with a friend the other day. I can show up and you turn on the microphone. I can sit here and talk. I, I talk on radio five hours a day, three hours with you guys, and then two hours in just Atlanta. And I can sit down. I did a CNN interview yesterday. I can sit down in front of the TV and I can talk. Um, but I never had business classes in, in high school or college. I, 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 I'm not a good businessman. I, and I know that I, I know that about myself. I know I, I have a weakness in that I like to, I'm a people pleaser. I, I grew up, I was the, the youngest kid in the family, uh, and I was the one who tried to keep everybody happy, and, and oftentimes that involves a very simple word, yes. Uh, when I first got into radio, Rush Limbaugh, who is, actually is a friend, um, not just a radio friend, but he actually is a friend, he encouraged me to get into radio, and one of the things he told me is you got to find someone who can tell people no for you. Um, because you'll want to just keep everybody happy, particularly when you're in radio, ratings matter, you want to keep people happy, you got to have somebody who can say no. Uh, and uh, Charlie, my producer, is is that person who tells people no for me, uh, oftentimes tells me no, And but in personal life and in, in spending and stuff, I, I don't have that sense and, and still trying to keep everybody in the family happy. And finally, it, just as, as luck would have it, uh, Chris and I, Chris Burns at Dynamic Money, we got to know each other, and it's been it's been great uh, to have somebody who can sit down and say, "Listen, I will help you uh, figure out how to budget monthly I, without going the Dave Ramsey route uh, that a lot of people go and, and paying all that money for Dave Ramsey uh, his program." Chris has been able to get our finances straight, uh, help get us out of credit card debt that's accumulated since I was in college, really. Uh, and because of medical bills and stuff with my wife's cancer, we, we've had a lot of bills to pay. And just getting on a, a financial plan and, and not having that stress of every month, oh my gosh, am I going to get to the end of the month and, and have to take money out of savings? Do I have savings? How do I build savings? Uh, so I, I can't speak highly enough about dynamic money. Uh, one, one of the things that I really appreciate about them is they're not there to sell me products. Oftentimes you'll go to a financial advisor and they're connected to uh, annuities or life insurance or uh, certain mutual funds. And they're not necessarily bad, but I just, I, I'm always a little bit skeptical when someone wants to sell me something to make a commission off of me. Uh, it's like the guy, when you go to the, the electronic store who's trying to get you to buy the 70 inch TV, is he trying to get you to sell it because he thinks you'd like it or he's trying to sell it to you because he gets a commission? Uh, and with dynamic money, there are no commissions. Uh, there's a flat fee consulting. If they do manage your money, then they get the standard, uh, money management fee. I just, I recommend them. It has given Christy and me a lot of peace of mind in our house. Uh, and Chris is a good, good guy, former youth pastor who got into this. So if you've got the same money concerns or lack of business sense or whatever that I have, uh, I highly recommend go to going to dynamicmoney.com and, and talk to Chris and Cliff and, and the folks at Dynamic Money. They can help you. And thank you to them for sponsoring the program. Longer, longer sponsorship read than I should have given, but I really do. They've helped us, Christy and me, personally so much. Um, getting getting a plan together, financial plan for just retirement and planning for kids, college, and everything else in ways I'm not capable of doing myself. Now, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the election here in Georgia, the election with Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. And uh, Governor Kemp won. And, you know, what's so interesting is uh, look at Matt Bevin yesterday or on, on Tuesday 
Uh, Matt Bevin in Kentucky lost by less than 5,000 votes. He's refused to concede pending a statewide recount, and the Democrats are demanding he concede. And many of the same Democrats demanding that Matt Bevin concede uh, still believe that Stacey Abrams had the race stolen from her when she couldn't even get enough votes to get into a runoff. It's not that Stacey Abrams lost, it's that she couldn't even get into a runoff. She didn't come close enough for a runoff. And that happened a year ago. The polling that came out in the election in Georgia very distinctly showed that there were a lot of people who were concerned about just how Trumpy Brian Kemp would be. And that was a suburbs issue in the Atlanta area in particular. A lot of suburban voters who have voted Republican have been turned off by the, the shift in the Republican Party towards the president. They didn't like that the president endorsed Brian Kemp. They didn't like his gun ad. They didn't like these things. And so they voted for Stacey Abrams. Since Brian Kemp's been elected, he's had a year to show people he's his own man. He's not just a a Donald Trump puppet. He's his own man. He's got his own way of doing things. He's got his own thinking. More importantly, the thing I appreciate about the governor is that he keeps his word. Whether you agree with him or not, uh, if he makes a promise, he tries to keep that promise as best he can. If he says he's going to do something, he tries to do it. For example, the fetal heartbeat legislation. A lot of progressives hate the fetal heartbeat legislation. The governor said this is something he would sign. He's pro-life, and he did it, to his credit. Took a lot of heat for that. Well, yesterday, a year after the election, uh, the site site survey magazine, which goes around the country and looks at areas of the country for industrial investment, uh, site pads for big businesses, they named Georgia, seventh year in a row, the number one place to do business. Concurrent to that, the governor is unveiling his massive health care reform plan in Georgia. And I sat down yesterday evening on my other show and talked to him and wanted to bring you guys that interview now. He couldn't be here this morning. He's on the road. Uh, But I wanted to make sure you were able to hear it. Here now, my interview with Governor Brian Kemp. Right now, I've got joining me the governor of the great state of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, good afternoon, Eric. Great to be on with you. Thank you for coming. You know, I, I do want to talk to you about health care, but I, I really want to talk to you about the economy as well in Georgia. We, we keep hearing uh, the news out there about how more and more businesses are coming to the state. And I, I guess I heard we're like seven years in a row considered the best place to do business in the nation. We are. Very exciting day today. We just announced down in Augusta earlier at the Georgia Cyber Center that Georgia is, again, the number one state in the country for business for the seventh year in a row according to Site Selection Magazine, and I'm certainly proud to keep our streak going. I think it sends a, another great message that we continue to roll on the economic development and the jobs front in Georgia. And I just did a board cutting at a, a new lumber facility in Warrington, Georgia, in Warren County. They're creating an additional 80 jobs, $135 million investment. So we're literally seeing projects happening all over our state, which is keeping our economy diverse and giving opportunities to Georgians, no matter what their zip code is. Well, you say that, and, and I, I was struck. I was actually talking to a radio station down in, in Douglas, Georgia, uh, earlier, that there's growth down, uh, he was talking about all over 75 now, and it spreads out into some of those rural counties away, uh, and more and more people they're starting to see are, are realizing that their job prospects are meaning they're not going to have to move to Atlanta or out of these small towns. Well, it's really interesting when you look at the projects. You know, we set a record for the uh, amount of investment, from, you know, investment that was coming into the state that the, the Department of Economic Development worked last year. It was $7.4 billion worth of announcements. There was 300 
32 projects, and 74% of them were outside the perimeter in Atlanta. And we certainly have a lot of great projects in Atlanta. We continue to work those. But it, it's such a great area with a lot of resources that kind of feeds itself, and we certainly are involved and help with that. But it's great to see projects. Literally, when you look at the map, they're happening in all areas of our state, down the coast and south and southwest Georgia, even in areas that have struggled in the past. And that's really what we're focused on. That's good for our state. And when you think about the great companies that we have in Atlanta that drive the economy in some ways, like a Delta or UPS or Coca-Cola, for instance, it's like David Abney at EPS, uh, UPS told me, he said, you know, all those small businesses in rural parts of our state where they're growing jobs, they're our customers. So really that whole synergy just, just makes our state continue to click and is the site selection folks said we're a logistics hub when you think about the airport in atlanta the the seaports we have in brunswick and savannah just uh great assets that we have to work with in our state well you know it just as an aside there you, you mentioned delta i saw this morning in the paper that they're having to add flights out of atlanta to columbus albany valdosta and i think brunswick uh because of the growth in those areas and people now coming in out of the, out of the airport the fact that delta's having to expand flights inside georgia i guess is a pretty good testament to how the economy's growing outside of atlanta oh absolutely and you know i think it shows that people are literally doing business all over the state they're adding a lot of new jobs as well that they're trying to hire and I think one of the, the focuses that we have right now is our Georgia May tour. We're literally going to every region of the state and, and highlighting Georgia made products. It, it could be a food product. It could be a manufactured product uh, like the one where they're making lumber here at the mill in Warrington today. But we've been to Kubota up in Hall County. We've been to um, Sil Sylvester, Georgia, uh, where we have a Claxton poultry pickup poultry plant there that's supplying food to great companies like chick-fil-a and and popeyes and you know it's just it's amazing we're making you know parts and materials that they're going to people all over the world i visited a facility earlier this today down in the csra in the augusta uh savannah river uh region that is making parts for automobiles and literally every manufacturer just about in the world is using that part so wow. we can build anything for anybody in our state governor you've unveiled your health care plan and i noticed you're kind of in a in a catch-22 here particularly with a lot of democrats that you're it is it's indisputable that the working poor were the hardest hit with obamacare because their uh, health care costs went up to help subsidize the costs of people who didn't have health care you've got a plan out to help people get some subsidy and relief for their health care costs and now the democrats are saying well you're, you're not insuring enough people even though a lot of the people who aren't going to be on the plan have insurance or they qualify for medicaid well look, look they're, they're going to be those folks that they're not going to like it wouldn't matter you know i could have proposed anything they were still going to find problems with it i'll just tell you this I, i'm like most other jordans i'm tired of people not doing something on health care and we were not going to let that happen this year during the legislative session. We passed 21 different health care bills, including the Patients First Act. And I'll talk about the waivers in a second. But we're bringing transparency to medical billing. We're taking on antiquated uh, CON laws to open up access for people, provide more cancer treatment for Georgians all over this state, and many, many other things that we, we have done. So I'm very proud of that. We can't just be a party or a state that says no to 
you know, what I call the unaffordable care act and not have another plan. So we're unveiling our plan now with the 1332 and the 1115 waiver. And the Democrats basically just want to expand a broken program that's not working, that the health care providers are not even, you know, in the areas to provide the service. And if they are, they won't even take Medicaid patients. So we're going a different route. We're coming up with a Georgia-centric plan. And the first part of it, doesn't even have anything to do with Medicaid. It has something to do about increasing competition, lowering private sector health care costs for hardworking Georgian families that are out there that are seeing their rates continue to go up exponentially year after year, and it's simply unaffordable. And the reinsurance program that we're asking for in the waiver, amongst other things, is going to help stabilize the market, allow more insurers to compete in that market, which will lower pricing, and give hardworking Georgians and our patients a choice in their health care delivery as well as access and quality. So that's kind of one bucket on the private sector side. On the Medicaid side, you know, we're going to be innovators. That's something that I really appreciate about the Trump administration allowing the states be being the incubators of democracy. We are having to work with them, with the, uh, them on this. And they really believe that we can do a better job than the federal government can do at health care delivery. And that's going to be a big issue, I think, in the presidential race. But despite all of that, we are trying to give a pathway for folks that need health insurance that are you know, not in a full-time job, that don't have access to it, and they can have the ability to get that by simply working part-time, by taking job training, so it's incentivizing people to get you know, a skill where they can get into the private sector. We need more workers out there right now. We've got great opportunities, and it's also going to allow people that are even volunteering a pathway to get health insurance, but then also have an ability to move off the government health insurance into a private sector plan uh, down the road if they get that job training, get in a better paying job, and they're with a company that can provide health insurance. We're now going to ask for a waiver that allows small business owners to be able to pitch in and help give part of that uh, health care payment every month to that employee to incentivize them to come work for that company and to lower their costs. You can't do that under Obamacare. Right. So what we're doing is an innovative Georgia-centric solution, and the people that are complaining about it are going to complain about anything we would have put out. <laughs> That's uh, very true. Look, I, I won't take up any more of your time. I appreciate you stopping by. Congrats on on the ranking again, and, and congrats on everything you're doing, and good luck with this. Hey, thanks for having me on. Have a good evening. You too. Governor Brian Kemp. I did note in my interview with the governor um, that we um, – now my, my brain is well sorry i had my microphone on mute while i was replaying his interview and i forgot to turn it back on it just completely threw me off <laughs> i didn't want people hearing me slurping coffee while i was also talking uh, or letting the governor talk it, it even so on brian kemp uh, one of the things i mentioned was that uh delta is adding flights and i said brunswick as well and i actually see this morning brunswick wasn't on the list um columbus albany and valdosta though and that's important because uh columbus is certainly a military area valdosta arguably as well uh in albany to some degree military locations but more importantly they're private sector locations outside of atlanta that are growing uh columbus albany and valdosta if you look at the unemployment rates there they're the unemployment rates are going down 
more and more people finding employment, and it has to do with private sector jobs. Now, I'm told, I am told that Delta is considering flights uh, into the Brunswick area. You know, they, they've scrapped flights to the Macon area in large part because Macon's only an hour from the airport. That's a 10-minute flight, uh, and there was no reason for them to do that. People can drive up. But these other places, they've been expanding. Athens has some flights, uh, but not through Delta. And uh, Brunswick and Savannah, of course, have a lot of flights. Uh, Savannah has the most, uh, being a very big uh, transportation hub. Now that they've rebranded it, the Hilton Head Savannah Airport, people going into Savannah and to Hilton Head there. Uh, it, it is a sign, though, that the economy in these areas is doing well, that Delta has decided to add flights. And as far as the governor, l- l- let me take a macro view here real quick, if you'll allow. The president does matter in the election and he's particularly going to matter next year in the election because the 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 president will be on the ballot and suburban voters they don't like the president um the question is do they like him so do they hate him so much that they'll go vote for a candidate whose policies they hate and i don't know that that's the case and the democrats are starting to realize that with elizabeth warren which is why they're starting to get a little bit freaked out uh my my sense of things is that though the governor was hurt in part in 2018 by the president's endorsement. The the governor did not need, let, let me dispel this myth here. If you look at the early election vote in Georgia in the Republican runoff between Casey Cagle and Brian Kemp, it is a myth that Brian Kemp needed uh, Donald Trump's endorsement. The early vote in Georgia was substantial for Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp was running a ground game uh, that was extraordinary. In fact, I know the guy whose software they used. Uh, oddly enough, um, I hear that Matt Bevan didn't use this software package and had all sorts of problems with his ground game in Connecticut. Um, Brian Kemp used this software package, same one Ron DeSantis and, and Rick Scott used called Campaign Sidekick. A buddy of mine uh, came up with it. And to do door-to-door operations, and they were killing it on early voting. To say he needed Donald Trump's endorsement uh, ignores the fact that early voting was done by the time, except for one day, that Friday before the election, the early voting was done. Brian, uh, Donald Trump did not make his endorsement until that Thursday evening, um, and it was done. The vice president came down that weekend. I'm, I emceed the event with Vice President Pence and uh, Governor Kemp. And on that Tuesday, people overwhelmingly, I mean, he just, he won massively, but he didn't need the president to do it. It would have been closer, but he still would have won. And the early vote says that. The problem was that that endorsement then defined Brian Kemp because of the spin from people in the Republican Party who don't like the governor, that he's Trump's guy. He's going to be just like Trump. He's going to ruin us in the suburbs, et cetera. And a lot of people believed it. But we've now got a full year of the governor as governor. And what's happened? His polling among independents, Republicans, and moderates is now above 50%. Uh, Democrats, a plurality of Democrats, like the governor. He's at like 48% popularity among Democrats. He's been a good governor, and he's showing himself to be his own man. And he's got three more years of this before he's got to stand for election again. And stuff like that actually matters. When we come back, uh, the anxiety of the American voter, new data. 
It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The the Pete Peterson Foundation is going to do something in Atlanta that I think is an excellent idea. Uh, The Pete Peterson Foundation is going to put up a debt clock. In Atlanta, you know the debt clock. It, it, it shows you the, uh, the the national debt as it's growing. It's continuously updated uh, LED billboard. It, we've got $23 trillion in national debt. Uh, they wanted to be part of the campaign conversation. They're going to put it down by CNN in downtown Atlanta on Turner Ted Turner Drive. I think that's excellent. Um, I, I've got a buddy of mine who got elected to Congress, and the first thing he did is, is he reached out to the Pete Peterson Foundation and asked where he could... Uh, get a debt clock for his office. He he wants it uh, displayed, and I think that is a quite a good thing uh, that he did. I want to turn to a story that's out there. NBC News had it uh, that American anxiety is increasing, and the 2020 election has a lot to do with it. Uh, the 2020 election is impacting pretty significantly people's views on the election and uh, how people are responding to stress. School shootings are having an effect on people. Uh, the, the breakup of families and, and collapse of the social order is having a real impact on people. All of these things are building to the stresses of dealing with 2020 and how people are approaching the election. And it's a negative for the president, you do need to understand that. And, and what I mean by it being a negative for the president is that the president stresses people out. And you, you may love the president, but the president always on, always on Twitter, um, always changing the news cycle by his tweets, it's, it stresses people out. Uh, there's something larger than that, though. And I, I, let, me, let me have a, a, a space here to be personal. Because I know exactly what people are going through, uh, and I've I've been open on this program about it. Uh, my wife's got cancer; um, she has a cancer for which there's not really a cure. It can be kept in remission for some time with a pill. She doesn't take regular chemo, and hopefully, a new pill will be created when this pill stops working. Because we know this pill will stop working, and uh, it, there's a lot of anxiety in my life over that. Um, a lot of anxiety over making ends meet and funding this radio program out of my pocket, uh, trying to get it growing, affiliates and advertising and and knowing I don't have a strong business sense. And there are lots of people out there who would love to get in on the business and uh, they're not really there for me to help me. Um, they're, they're there to help themselves off of me. Uh, it, it's extraordinary the number of people, when you, when you get into something like this, the number of people who view you as their meal ticket as opposed to actually wanting to come in and be a friend and be a partner. Um, and other people feel that as well, particularly because we're we're becoming more and more isolated uh, people. I talk regularly on this program about your need to make friends in the real world and not interact online, but to see people face-to-face and actually connect with people in your community and be a part of your community. And, and it turns out that in this this survey of people who are really anxious about 2020, um, the people who are the least anxious are the people who actually are engaged in the real world, in their community, and have a circle of real-world friends, not online friends, people they regularly get together with. Uh, and th- we all need this. And this is my point to bear my soul and, and have confession time with you. I am really, really bad about it. 
I am bad about it. I talk on the radio for five hours a day. Most of my friends live in Atlanta. I live in Macon. Uh, I used to have a circle of friends in Macon that doesn't exist anymore. They've all moved away. I used to have a Bible study here. I don't go to a Bible study anymore. Um, that Bible study kind of collapsed as those people moved away. I, I live a very isolated existence. And, and so I understand, particularly men, um, and I know most talk radio listeners are men, and, and my my apologies to the women in the audience right now, but if you're married and you're a woman, you should know this as well. Your husband and I speak for myself and other men, in the anxiety in the election shows it is a phenomenon mostly of men. Men have a way of isolating themselves from community because they believe that they have obligations to their family and their job above themselves. And so they put their family first. They put their uh, job ahead of them. Oftentimes they put their job ahead of their family, and it's at the expense of themselves. And it's causing deteriorating mental health and, and physical health problems for men in the country. And in the run-up to the election in 2020, it is increasingly causing problems uh, for the mental well-being of a lot of men in the country, also women. Don't want to downplay that. Uh, but it, it is a phenomenon among men who very much feel like if they take time away from their job or their family, they're being selfish, therefore they can't. Um, and their tendency, I, I mean, my tendency, let me just talk about me. For, forget the generic man. I'm a workaholic. I, I am. I love my job. I, my family sometimes thinks I love my job more than me. Uh, I work out of my house, which is bad. I don't have an office to go to, so there's no physical severing of the connection between me and my office. I am always in my office. If I'm at home, I am more likely than not sitting in my office on the computer in some way working or reading related to work. Uh, I never unplug, never, ever unplug, uh, which just causes the worries to magnify, causes everything to amplify, causes everything to spiral. Um, I hang out with my family. If I hang out with friends, more often than not, I'm hanging out with friends of mine who uh, I know because we work together and we spend our time talking about work, not other things. And more and more, the data suggests that more and more, I'm not alone in this. Uh, more and more men do this and, and we self-isolate. We don't go out with friends. We, we have limited friend networks offline. And as we head into 2020, it is starting to impact people. The rates of ulcers are up. The rates of high blood pressure are up. The rates of cardiac distress are up. And it all has to do with overall societal isolation. And the 2020 election really amplifies that. Now, let, again, let me not talk about the hypothetical man. Let me just talk about myself. Um, or some would say it's my favorite topic anyway. <laughs> but no, seriously, I'll put myself on the spot. I, I, I'll confess. Um, I So my friend Charlie is my producer. And I got another friend, Philip, who helps me run the resurgent. And I interact with outside of my family. I interact with those two more than anyone else on the planet these days. And more often than not, we talk about work. Um, oftentimes we, we try not to talk about work. Philip and I'll sit on my front porch and have a glass of bourbon and a cigar on Sunday nights and try not to talk work. But it's, it's very hard for me not to talk about work. Um, work is what I know. Work is what I'm good at. Work is what I love. Uh, so I talk about work. Um, and beyond the interaction with Philip and Charlie and my family, I really don't interact with other human beings that much these days. And friends have moved away. Friends have gone. Uh, it's hard to find, frankly, new friends when you're in the business I'm in because people want to be friends with the guy on the radio, not the guy, uh, they know from church or whatnot. 
it becomes rather isolating, and I'm not alone in that, um, but I can talk about my experience. On top of that, um, between my wife's health and, and everything else, you know, I, I'll just admit to you, I was in a bad place this summer. Uh, I had the stress of doing the resurgent gathering. And for those of you who don't know, I, I do a conference. I'm not going to do it this coming year, largely because of this past year uh, and, and all the other things in, involved um the compromises I would have to make to do an honest conference I didn't want to make. Uh, I wanted to be honest, and that would cause problems for fundraising. This past year, we raised several hundred thousand dollars to do the conference. Uh, much of it came into the last month, and it was super stressful. We had contracts and obligations we had to meet. The money wasn't coming. It was overwhelming, and it came at, at, at the exact same time. And I haven't really opened up with anybody about this, and including Charlie and Philip. Uh, it, it came at about the time where I became a to the realization that in addition to my wife's health, that I would probably uh, in the future have to deal with my children's health as well. We, we can't have them tested genetically right now for a host of reasons. One day we will, but all of this was weighing on me this summer. Um, it was really overwhelming. And I had no outlet at all. And I muddled through it. The show was launching in August. Uh, and so I could focus on the conference and I could focus on on this show, but doing so at the expense of absolutely everything else, I, I, I couldn't think about anything. I'm great at compartmentalizing. I was a lawyer. Uh, we learned to compartmentalize in law school. It is really easy to compartmentalize things. And sometimes the, the compartments get so stuffed, though, they break open and you can't get rid of stuff. And I mean, I, I was I was having some serious talks with God on a regular basis, on my knees in the middle of the night, waking up in cold sweats uh, and, and just having to go uh, find somewhere to, to pray. And it, it, it certainly got me through. Faith is certainly a part. But, man, y'all, I understand people's anxiety right now. And it, it got bad enough that friends of mine have recognized the problem. And, and a buddy of mine said, you know, we sh I need a break too. He, he's had some issues with family and, and work. He's been stressed out. And so... We rounded up a, a group of people, and they wound up taking me out west this past weekend. I mentioned um, why I wasn't here on Monday. Took my computer and my laptop from me so I couldn't work. I, I couldn't focus on work. They all know I'm addicted to work, and, and it was essentially detox for work. They put me in a helicopter with a machine gun, and I got to fly around and shoot guns. And now not everybody has an opportunity to, to fly around a mountainside and shooting machine guns. It was pretty awesome. I got to tell you, it was awesome. Uh, a belt-fed machine gun, 200 rounds, 400 rounds ultimately, flying along a, a mountain ridge and just, just firing at targets. Oh, it was incredible. And it was a small helicopter, and, and the pilot was great. And one of the guys I was with uh, had been a, a special operator in the military, and so they were willing to, to push the helicopter to its limits because he was in there. I think they totally forgot I was in there, but I loved it. It was awesome. Uh, but I needed that break and needed to be surrounded with friends who forced me to take the break, um, even when I don't want to take the break. I'm, I'm, not, I'm outside my comfort zone when I'm surrounded by people and, and have to talk about stuff other than work and politics. And they forced me to do it. And it was good. I, I needed it. But it's also a realization looking at this data this morning that, that you need it too. Uh, you you need to be surrounded with people. And you got to make yourself or you've got to have friends good enough to force you to do it to unplug on occasion uh, from life. And if you're a guy in particular, to not feel guilty about leaving your family for a couple of days, I assure you they will be fine. And I, listen, I, I'm practicing what I'm preaching here. I'm being real honest with you. Maybe more honest than I should. It is hard for me, particularly just with, with family health, finances, and everything else that goes on in life, um, it's hard for me to pull back and say, everything's going to be okay if I go away for a couple of days. 
It's not something you can do regularly. It's not something you should do regularly. But when I saw that study this morning uh, about anxiety and how 2020 and mass shootings and, and the, the ever-changing news cycle are played into it, I thought, you know, this is me too. And if it's me too, it's probably a lot of other people. I, I, I mentioned this before. I, I, I'm probably more open than I should be about stuff going on in my life in large part because I met someone one time who was on the verge of suicide, seriously was on the verge of suicide, uh, and he told me that me being honest about my situation was one of the things that helped pull him back from the brink. And while it, it's personally embarrassing to me and I've had people throw stuff in my face for being honest uh, and suggesting maybe I shouldn't be, I, I, I know that by and large there are people out there who have the anxieties I have, if not more so, and they think they're alone. Uh, they, they don't know that other people are going through it. I, I, let me tell you, I'm, I'm going through it. My wife has her cancer scans in two weeks. Uh, our life is very, with metronomic regularity, she goes in every three months for a new cancer scan to see if the tumors are growing again, and, and one day they will. And so every time we get to a scan, we kind of spend a week or two holding our breath, and, and here it comes. Uh, and I don't know where I would be mentally had I not been forced to check out for a weekend with this coming up. And so I can see in the data of anxiety in the election that I'm not alone and that a lot of people who are anxious about the election and they're anxious about their job and they're anxious about their finances, there's a common trait among the men and the women, particularly the women. They're isolated. They feel guilty about having a physical connection with someone other than their family in their life that's unrelated to work that they they don't think they can just go out and grab a beer with a buddy and they need to we all need to um and, and this weekend certainly showed me that i've got to do a better job of that and that it's actually possible for me to leave all the electronics behind and have a good time with with people and i i could just tell you i was very fortunate i'm very very blessed to have friends uh who paid for me to do this so that was one less stress uh, the financial stress of it as well i i didn't want to do it and they're like we got this you need to go. You need to do it. And I was very blessed to do that. And I realized that I'm unique in that to some degree and, and fortunate in that. But you don't have to do that. You can um, go to the gun range. Go go hit golf balls. Uh, go go to a driving range and just drink and hit golf balls. Um, th there's a relaxing thing to do. I'm happy to go with you, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, just go hang out. Uh, it, the extent that anxiety is increasing in our electoral cycle and in our lives has everything to do with our isolation from our community, from our church groups, from our friends. We feel guilty. We feel we've got to work. We feel we've got to spend time with our family. And sometimes you just need to cut away. And that's not selfish. It is necessary. And it's just amazing to me looking at the data, how many people there's a direct correlation to anxiety building and isolation. And no man is an island. And I realize it's cliche to say, but it's true. Uh, the question, though, is sometimes you have to wade through a little bit of water to go find the other people. And I would encourage you all to do that, as I have had to do it. Um, just so you know, you're not alone and you can share your anxieties with people. You don't necessarily need a therapist. You just need friends around the table with a beer and, and have conversations about real life and not be guarded with people, uh, pe particularly people who are your friends. And if you don't have friends, go to church, join a small group, get a Bible study, go to a Sunday school class. 
join a civic group, meet people you connect in that common way with a similar worldview, and then from there, you can build some friendships. It is staggering to me the number of people in this country now who say they really don't have best friends they interact with on a physical basis. They interact with over the internet, over over a phone, um, over a social messaging app. Uh, you got to actually have face-to-face time with people. God himself came to earth to walk with us physically. Uh, that should suggest maybe we should do that with each other. All right, enough about that. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Remember, this hour sponsored by Dynamic Money. You can go to dynamicmoney.com to learn more if you need help with your finances, uh, need help learning finances, teaching your kids financial skills. uh, Dynamic Money can help. A judge has struck down a a rule passed by the Trump administration on conscientious objections to performing abortion. Uh, This is actually kind of staggering, and the media is badly reporting the issue. There's actually a law passed by Congress. Uh, Ted Kennedy spoke in support of the law that would the the law would allow doctors and nurses to say they could not perform abortions uh, because of their moral religious concerns. The Obama administration never actually wrote regulations for this law. So the Trump administration did. And now a federal judge appointed by Barack Obama has struck down the regulations saying it would actually uh, violate uh, it could, the coercion uh, coercion in the Constitution. You would be forcing uh, medical providers to, to hire people when they don't want to hire them, which is actually, I mean, it is a profound upending of the law. This is clearly a very activist, progressive judge. Essentially, the law says, and it is a federal law, it's not just a rule. All He struck down the rule that was designed to implement the law, and the law says that if you're, you're someone of faith and you don't want to perform abortion, you can't be forced to do so in a hospital that gets federal money. What the judge says is you're actually compelling employers to hire people of faith with this rule. Huh? Well, he's saying that hospitals may not want to hire a Christian because the Christian won't perform abortions. And what this law is essentially doing, what the rule, not the law, what the rule is doing is forcing hospitals to hire Christians they don't want to hire. They should not have to hire Christians, which is is weird when you particularly have religious discrimination as a thing in this country, too. But that was the judge's logic in getting rid of the rule. It'll undoubtedly be reversed on appeal. But it, it is a reminder of just how hostile progressives are to faith-based objections and faith-based concerns in this country. Uh, you know, secularism is in and of itself is a religion. You have your own doctrines, you have your own dogma, uh, you've got your own priests, you, you've got your own uh, tithing system, all of these things. You, you, you give to the government, the government takes care of people, uh, you, you sacrifice at the altar of abortion. Abortion is a, a sacrament within in the left. Uh, protest is a sacrament. It, it's, it's in lieu of going to church, you go march in the street and protest the Trump administration. Uh, secularism is, it may be a new religion and it's shaking out its, its theology and dogma and orthodoxies, but it absolutely is. And this idea that uh, telling people you can't be punished if you don't want to do an abortion means that hospitals would be forced to hire religious people is absurd. And that's the logic the progressive left has taken on this. They're cheering this, by the way. The progressive left is cheering the decision on the logic that hospitals should not have to hire people of faith. 
In fact, there are progressive activists out there today saying that if you're a person of faith, you can't really be a person of science, and medicine needs more people of science than people of faith. Uh, Jonah Goldberg, uh, writing in his dispatch newsletter, talks about sciencism. It was a term uh, Frederick Hyatt gave to people who try to say science says, and they twist everything into this framing for science that essentially the, the Roe v. Wade argument was based on sciencism. It is uh, people got social science experts who came up with this idea of trimesters, which no one in the medical community actually believes, but the Supreme Court bought it and said, no restrictions in your first trimester. You can restrict thereafter, progressively restrict abortion. And that wasn't actually based on the science of pregnancy. It was based on the scientism of pregnancy, the scientism, the, the experts say provision. We encounter this all the time. Experts say experts used to say that eggs were bad, don't eat eggs, and now the experts say that the eggs are okay, you can't eat the eggs, and it, it, it turned on his head. And that's what's going on here, scientism. It, it is a, a new religion in secularism. When we come back, there's a Georgia story we need to talk about. It has nationwide implications. There's a case before the Supreme Court on whether or not you as a Georgia citizen can access your state's laws. Y'all, I would like to thank Quip for sponsoring this week's show. Y'all, I love my Quip toothbrush. I bragged about it forever. I continue to brag about Quip because it is a great toothbrush. In fact, I took a trip this past weekend. My Quip went with me, obviously. It goes with me everywhere. And I really do get two minutes of brushing my teeth. Now, if you're not familiar with Quip, Quip is actually, it's the size of a regular toothbrush. It works on two AAA batteries. They send you the battery or one AAA battery. They send it with the Quip. And it just works. Your toothbrush gives you great sonic vibrations for two minutes. It pulses for every 30, every 30 seconds it pulses so that you know to switch it around in your mouth to, to get an even brushing. My dentist, my orthodontist, they both think I've been bleaching my teeth. I haven't. I've just been brushing really, really well because the quip vibrations are great to clean and the pulse makes sure that I know I, I've got two minutes to go. It turns itself off after two minutes and it makes sure that I'm getting an even cleaning by, by pulsing every 30 seconds as I switch it around. If you haven't quite tri- qu- bleh, haven't tried quip, let me slow down. If you haven't tried Quip, you should. You really actually should. Uh, it's a great toothbrush. I've tried the $100 supersonic toothbrushes. Nothing comes close to the Quip toothbrush. Nothing has incentivized me to get a two-minute brush into my teeth like Quip. You'll find that's the case with you, my wife, my kids. We've all got Quips. Quip starts at just $25. You can get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's a simple way to support the show. It's a simple way to get a better toothbrush. You go to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Erickson, and you'll get a refill free. Your brush head, every three months, they'll send you a new one. Your first one will be free. Go right now to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Erickson. Take advantage of this great deal. Thanks to Quip for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Uh oh, what's this? The Mets? What the heck? Uh, the, the Mayor De Blasio, a New York former presidential candidate, and the Mets are teaming up to give 900 criminals free tickets to City Field. So they're going to give 900 criminals tickets to City Field for Mets games or other events hosted at the stadium to get them to show up for their court dates. Uh, right, right. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> wow, okay. 
progressives. Okay, the phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to talk to you about a case. It is not getting a ton of attention. Um, There's an article at The Federalist on this. And I think it's a big deal. I need to explain some some minutia to you. I was a lawyer for a number of years, uh, and I, I just I I gotta I gotta explain this. Let me let me break this down for you. It's a slightly complicated. In Georgia, we refer to the Georgia Code as the OCGA. What that stands for is the Official Code of Georgia Annotated. If you go to court in Georgia and you file a lawsuit, you have to cite the OCGA in your court filings. And very, there's something called the Blue Book. The blue book, you, you, know, you know how that you've got the Chicago Manual of Style, the, the Associated Press uh, style guide, things like that on how you write. Um, lawyers have a style guide as well, and it's called the blue book. It's not the Kelly blue book. It is not about the price of cards. The, the blue book tells you how to cite things in a legal brief. Um, where do you put spaces? Uh, what has spaces? What doesn't have spaces? And the OCGA is O period, C period, G period, A period, space. And then you have the, uh, the symbol for a section and the number. And then you have a space and then in parentheses, you have the date of the, the most recent date of the, the Georgia code. You can't put Georgia code section, whatever it's gotta be OCGA section, uh, the best one I'm familiar with is, is the, uh, election code, uh, election code is, is title 21 in the Georgia code. So OCGA section, uh, 21 dash one dash one, uh, which is the introductory paragraph in, for the election code. And then in parentheses, it would be, uh, 2018. That's the most recent version of the Georgia code. That's I, I that is minutia. You need to know to understand this. Georgia contracts with LexisNexis Publishing to produce the official code of Georgia annotated. And if you want access to the official code of Georgia annotated, you've got to pay 400 some odd dollars to have access to it. In other words, you can't actually get your Georgia laws. Now, remember, in court, uh, ignorance of the law is no defense. Just because you didn't know something was the law when you break the law is not a defense. But in Georgia, if you want to know what the law is, you've got to pay $400 to get access to the law. Georgia says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You can get access to the free Georgia code online. There's a problem, though. The free Georgia code, the the difference between the official code of Georgia annotated and the regular code is the regular code just has the statute. Let let, let me give you an example here, Um, and, and you'll just... Bear with me here. If you go to the if you go to the state legislature's website, legis.ga, legis.ga.gov, you will find a, a tab in the left, and it says Georgia Code. When you go to Georgia Code, it will move you over to the LexisNexis website. And when you get to the LexisNexis website, you can see the Code of Georgia for free. Now, I I, I want to read for you what this says. This website is maintained by LexisNexis, the publisher of the official code of Georgia annotated, to provide free public access to the law. It is not intended to replace professional legal consultation or advanced legal research tools. Legislative staff of the Georgia General Assembly cannot respond to requests for legal advice or to the application of the law 
to specific facts from anyone except members of the Georgia General Assembly. Therefore, to understand and protect your legal rights, you should consult a lawyer. Blah, 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 blah. I agree. Okay, let's go to, um, well, let, let's go to one you guys would be interested in. That would be Title 16. So OCGA, uh, Section 16 dash. Let's go to uh, Chapter 5 is Crimes Against Person. Let's go to the first one is Homicide. And let's go to OCGA Section 15-5-1. OCGA 15-5-1 is murder, malice murder, blah, 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 blah. A person, OCGA Section 16-5-1A, a person commits the offense of murder when he unlawfully and with malice aforethought, either express or implied, causes the death of another human being. Express malice is that deliberate, intentional, unlawfully to take the life of another human being, which is manifested by external circumstances capable of proof, blah, 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 blah. There's your code. OCGA Section 16-5-1, Section A, defines the offense of murder. Here's the problem. The official code of Georgia annotated at the bottom of the page then lists the case law from the Georgia Supreme Court relevant to that section. And if you cite the law in Georgia, you've got to cite the official code of Georgia annotated. Your taxpayer dollars put the official code of Georgia annotated together, and that includes the statute, it includes the history of the statute when it was enacted. For example, uh, according to this, the law was first enacted in 1833. The last time it was revised, it was revised in 2014. And then it includes the Supreme Court's case history and the Court of Appeals case history. If you go to the Georgia General Assembly website, you don't get that. You pay for it. You actually pay for that. You pay for the publication of the official code of Georgia annotated, complete with the references to Court of Appeals and Supreme Court decisions on those particulars of the law. But you're not allowed to have access to it unless you pay $400. You've already paid your taxpayer dollars. This is the case before the United States Supreme Court. Uh, a couple dozen, I think 20 states, 20 states use taxpayer dollars to write their official codes with all the references to Supreme Court decisions, et cetera, and you're not allowed to have access to it. So if you're a pro se defendant and you go online and you've got to cite this code section, 16-5-1, the murder statute, you're not allowed to see the relevant court opinions from Georgia that any lawyer in the state can see unless you're willing to pay money to get access to the expanded version of LexisNexis, even though your taxpayer dollars paid to put it together. That's the case before the Supreme Court. And, and I think Georgia is wrong in this. I think that if your taxpayer dollars are going to compile the official code of Georgia annotated, OCGA, that is what you have to cite in a court case. That is what you have to cite in your legal briefs to court. You should have access to the official code of Georgia annotated. Again, there is no defense to the law if you don't know what the law is. And Georgia says you've got to pay $400 to have access to the law. Now, Georgia's defense is, oh, but we put the actual statutes online for free. They can see the statutes. But that's not the official code of Georgia annotated. Taxpayers pay for additional information that you're depriving your average citizen of seeing. It's absurd. There are uh, 25 states that, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. There are 30 states 
that say if the state pays for its official code and that official code also lists the related state court cases, then you are entitled to all of it for free because they're your, your court cases paid for by your court or done by your court, which you paid for with taxpayer dollars. They're your statutes compiled by your legislature, which you paid for with taxpayer dollars. They're your code compiled by your state that you paid for with your tax dollars and they're all put together. Therefore, you should have access to it because you've already paid for it. And the state of Georgia says, no, you've got to pay extra. Even though you've already paid through your taxpayer dollars, you've got to pay extra. The Supreme Court is going to hear that case this week. Uh, the case is Public Resource Georgia versus Public Resource Org. Um, the, the, I'm sorry, it's December 2nd they're going to hear the case. The, the, the publicresource.org is a website that decided to put the entire OCGA out there, including all the court case references, and the state of Georgia sued them to shut them down. Public Resources won in, uh, in, in the, the Court of Appeals, and now they're headed to the Supreme Court. And the reason they're headed to the Supreme Court is because they won in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals here in Georgia, which means that Georgia— and Alabama and Florida, that makes up the 11th Circuit. They've now got to show you the entire official code of Georgia annotated um, or the, the Alabama code or the Florida code. But it only applies to those three states. So publicresources.org or publicresources.org incorporated, crazy name, they support Georgia's appeal. The, the, they won at the appellate level and they're supporting the appeal to the Supreme Court because they think there's a chance the Supreme Court will enforce this nationwide and it seems like a no-brainer to me we paid for the georgia code we should be able to have access to it without having to pay an extra four hundred dollars it is absurd that the state thinks otherwise lisa calling from clarksville uh you're on this welcome to the program hey i just tuned in um let me turn the radio and and this, I just happened to fall upon this a couple of weeks ago just by accident, what you're talking about. Um, I'm a former Florida resident, mm -hmm. driver's license suspended, trying to get the driver's license back in Florida so that I can get a license here. Because mm -hmm. you have to have one from one state to get it in right. another state. The... Um, luckily, the guy in Florida that I talked to, he said, well, you might want to find out first because you'll have to apply for a hardship license. You might want to call the state of Georgia to find out if they issue hardship licenses, because I know that the state of Alabama does not. So I went through those hoops. Come to find out, the state of Georgia does not allow a hardship license issued from another state. They, Georgia will not issue one either for any reason, for any reason. Hmm. So I need that information. So I went on LexisNexis looking for these codes and I couldn't find them anywhere. And what I did find was not, like you're saying, it wasn't the expanded version. Mm -hmm. So I had to call the state back, the DMV or whatever you call it here. And she said, well, let me put you on hold. And I was on hold and she had to Forever. come back. Forever. Oh, it's awful. So finally, she comes back and she says, well, look, I'll have to take your name and number and I need a written uh, request sent to our offices in, I think it's down in somewhere near um, Monroe or something, somewhere down there, mm -hmm. um, that states that you need this and you have to sign it and you have to put your birth date. I, I still haven't gotten it. But it, it, what it tells me is that they don't want people going in and doing their own, 
you know, pro, what do you call it, pro per? Pro yeah, se. yeah, pro bono, yeah, or, or um, pro se, pro se. Yeah, they don't want you doing your own court cases. And I won't get into the reason I don't have a driver's license, but it has a lot to do with that mm-hmm. um, from Florida. Well, you know, Lisa, this I'm glad you called in uh, from Clarksville with this story because you're not alone. Listen, when I was a lawyer, now I don't actively practice anymore. Thanks very much for the phone call, Lisa. I don't actively practice anymore. Uh, I still have my bar license. It's inactive. It reminds me, I got to pay my bar dues. You know, that's the other thing is is in Georgia, um, you got to pay your bar dues in perpetuity if you want to just hang on to your law license, which is absurd to me. That's another case going to the Supreme Court. Uh, but they really do discourage individuals from wanting to be pro se. Not everybody can hire a lawyer, and that that's the reason I read you the the opening page to this. Uh, when you go into Lexus Nexus, there's a big thing that you you really need to have a lawyer. You really shouldn't be doing this yourself. Uh, you you don't have access to everything. Well, you should because by God, you pay for it. You're a taxpayer in the state of Georgia. You paid to compile the official code of Georgia annotated. The official code of Georgia annotated has information relating to the Supreme Court and Court of Appeals cases on the particular statutes, and they don't give you that unless you pay extra money. You've already paid as a taxpayer. And like in Lisa's case, it makes it difficult for you to be able to navigate what you do and where you go who you see and, and what you do and what procedure must be filed and when the state is, is yanking your chain because you can't see all the information you as a taxpayer should be able to see. And so the Supreme Court is taking this case and, and it's going to impact 20 states because 20 states, it's not just Georgia, 20 states do this to their taxpayers. You pay to have your code annotated and then they won't let you see it unless you pay them some more. And good for the Supreme Court for taking this. I hope Georgia loses this case. I really hope Georgia loses. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-973-7425, 877-97-ERIC. Yes, that's a vanity. Listen, you know, I should have thought of this. Maybe I should have, Maybe I should change the spelling of my name to E-R-I-C. It's amazing the number of people who spell it E-R-I-C. It's E-R-I-C-K, which is why it's 97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. But that translates to 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five as the phone number if you want to call in and be a part of the program. Uh, David French, writing in the dispatch, makes a good point about uh, this de- decision by Paul Engelmayer in the Southern District of New York on the abortion conscious rule. Let me let me read you part of what he says at, at the dispatch. Uh, the Trump administration rule is complicated. Uh, Judge Inglemeyer's opinion was 147 pages long, and I'm trying to limit the length of my newsletters, so I'm not going to dive into the details of the ruling. As a general rule, the court imposes a more exacting degree of scrutiny on the Trump abortion regulations than existing jurisprudence permits. These are the regulations that allow people of faith and conscience to say they're not going to perform abortions. The judge says uh, they can be compelled by a hospital to perform those abortions. The ruling functionally narrows the degree of discretion granted to the executive branch to interpret statutes and promulgate regulations, which brings me to my key point. I'm beginning to believe that the legal left may well learn to regret the precedents it's setting in the Trump era. In 2017, I coined the term Trump law to describe the legal left's use of forum shopping, creative legal theories, and national injunctions to cobble together a remarkably successful series of legal holdings, uh, illegal holding actions that seemed designed as much to run out the clock on Trump's first term as they were to permanently block his policies. 
Even if they were perhaps destined to lose in the Supreme Court, the process of actually getting there and getting the case heard and decided could take years. And indeed, the Supreme Court can't take every case. By pressing legal challenge after legal challenge as far as it will go, progressives are moving cases to a Supreme Court that's not necessarily thrilled with the regulatory state. Justice Gorsuch, in particular, has written eloquently about the administrative state's threat to the American system of governance. So what does that mean? It's easy to imagine a different kind of legal resistance, one that uses the precedent set by today's legal left, but filtered through very different courts. Instead of filing cases in California and New York, the next legal resistance, maybe during the age of President Warren, will file its cases in Texas or Alabama. And then those same courts will find the scrutiny applied to presidential actions by the Ninth and Second Circuits to be both interesting and persuasive. After all, conservative legal scholars have long argued that the executive branch has far more powers than the founders intended. It's easy to see an emerging legal future where American polarization means Congress enacts few, if any, sweeping reforms. The presidents are subject to increasing restraints on the regulatory authority based on precedent set by judges on the left and the right. And when the progressive activists lament that heightened legal barrier, in part, they'll have themselves to blame their own resistance established the precedents that will block progressive legal reform. I think he's right on that, by the way. In fact, uh, the president is out there now bragging about the judges that he's gotten confirmed. But we will have confirmed, as I said, uh, 112 judges to the federal district courts, 44 judges to the federal circuit courts, and two outstanding judges to the United States Supreme Court. And that number is rapidly rising. Now, one out of every four circuit judges currently on the bench was appointed by this administration, and that number has now exceeded that by quite a bit. No president in history has confirmed as many circuit court judges, even close, not even close, in such a short period of time. The average age of my newly appointed circuit court judges is less than 50. A young, smart, that's 10 years younger than... President Obama's nominees, the pace of appointments is only accelerating. It's going very quickly. And then, you know, at some point, we're going to have to slow it down because we're not going to have any, any openings. You know that. But we'll find them. We'll find them. We'll find them. Would you like to add a few judges? That wouldn't be a bad idea. How about adding another hundred or so? We'll be able to fill. But we're on track to have more judges confirmed this year than in the prior two years combined for us and uh, will be a record in history, a record the number of judges that we're, we're getting in just a short period of time. Once all pending nominations are confirmed, I will have appointed about 219 judges and that number will go up very substantially from that. And you know, one of the things the president did is, is he, he focused on circuit courts first and he stacked the circuit courts, and now he's working on the district judges, and that's going to have a long-term impact. Whether he has one term or two, it'll be hugely meaningful. There is still time. The sweet potato pie recipe will be in people's inboxes at noon, uh, no later than noon. Uh, it is it is my favorite sweet potato pie recipe. It is. So it's, it's you roast the sweet potatoes if you can. Uh, you put them in the pies. It makes two pies. But then you put a meringue on top, and most sweet potato pies in the South don't have meringues, but this one not only has a meringue, it's got a marshmallow cream meringue. You use a Jet Puff marshmallow cream, 
and then you you make your standard meringue. Oh, you're going to want this recipe. Text RECIPE to 33777. You'll have it in 25 minutes in your inbox. you, you got to get it now, and, and that, that's okay. If you text... If you text later than that, if you text recipe to 33777 and the recipe's already gone out, what you'll get back is you'll get a link to all the recipes that I've sent out anyway, so you'll be able to find this one. Uh, so text recipe to 33777. You'll get this. It is a marshmallow meringue sweet potato pie. It is divine. It is wonder. It is perfect for the holidays. Uh, even if you don't want the meringue, the sweet potato pie is fantastic. It's a brown butter sweet potato pie. Uh, really, really good. Okay, we, we got to move. We got to move on to other things. Um, I want to uh, spend a few moments talking about Paula White begrudgingly. I, I don't want to talk about Paula White. I, I feel the need to talk about Paula White. Uh, Paula White is the president's spiritual advisor. Oh, this is going to hurt my head. Paula White's a prosperity gospel minister. And the prosperity gospel is heresy. Any Orthodox Christian will tell you the prosperity gospel is heresy. Uh, Joel Osteen, who wants you to have your best life now, and a number of other pastors out there who preach this sort of stuff, they're feel-good sermons uh, where they twist Scripture and make it sound like uh, God is going to uh, get you wealthy now. In fact, uh, Scripture is actually pretty clear. Jesus says that you can have these things. You can have wealth and fortune. You can have fame and good health, but you're going to get persecution too. And the prosperity gospel leaves that out. Uh, but more particularly, Scripture says, for example, uh, ask and you'll receive. Um, pray to God and, and believe and, and you'll receive. And, and uh, God gives those who ask with open hearts, he'll, he'll give to them. That Scripture is pretty open to the fact that God is a generous God. But this has been, it's been twisted, and the reason it's been twisted is because God does not necessarily give you money. Listen, I know this firsthand in my life, as my family and I have struggled with finances over the years, uh, trying to make ends meet. When I was a lawyer, uh, I, I got out of law school and I've still got student loans that are going to be another 15 years paying them off. And I haven't practiced law since 2006. And I've still got, yeah, I've got 13 to 15 years to pay off more loans. Uh, I make now more than I ever made as a lawyer. In fact, I left practicing law. I was uh, on the verge of being a partner at my law firm and was making 52000 a year at the law firm. This would have been in 2005. I was making 52000 I had started at forty three. Uh, and I did not have enough money to pay our mortgage and our, my student loans and other expenses we had at the end of the month after all of our, after all of our bills have been paid between my wife and me working, we had about 500 bucks at the, in the end of the month for groceries and gas and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and luckily I was blessed to get a new job, uh, that really almost paid me quite, not quite double, but almost what I was making as a lawyer, and it's taken a long time to to increase my income. In fact, I'm making about 60% less now than I was two and a half, three years ago. Still have a lot of the debts from from when I was making way more than I am now. Uh, struggling to pay those off. Again, um, this hour is, is not sponsored by Dynamic Money, but I'll tell you again, that's why Chris Burns has come in, in helpful, is being able to look at all of our debts objectively and in my income and say, hey, we can restructure your debts this way, uh, get them paid off, we can refinance your house, you've got 
got enough equity in your house, we can take that money, we can wipe out these debts, that'll free up income, and then you can wipe out these debts with that income. It's a chess game that I don't understand. I don't play chess. Uh, he's quite good at it. Uh, go to Dynamic Money if you need something. But this is a, a long aside to the prosperity gospel where a lot of people get roped into the prosperity gospel because they are struggling financially. They're in hardship, and you've got a minister saying, if you just believe and you offer your money to the church, God's going to return to you because that that is kind of what the Bible says, is it not? That, that you give to God and God gives to you. Uh, God gives to you generously when you give to the church generously. And so you've got these prosperity gospel ministers who are telling people, you buy me my new Gulf Stream, you buy me my new mansion, you fund this church and the church programs, and God is going to make you wealthy. He is going to be so generous with you. I, I've heard Paula White say, you are storing up money in the treasuries of heaven, that God is keeping a ledger, and every dollar you give, you're earning interest on that money. But that's a works-based religion, and Christianity is not a works-based religion. By faith, this is the Reformation, uh, 502 years ago on Halloween, uh, the Reformation Day as well, that, that you go, you are by faith, you are saved. Now, if you're Catholic, I realize there's a works component there, but even Catholicism rejects the idea of the prosperity gospel, that you write a check and God puts it in a ledger in heaven and he's going to give you interest on that money and you're going to make it back. That is not scriptural and that is the prosperity gospel and that is why it's a heresy and Paula White is in that. Paula White is a prosperity gospel uh, minister. She has affirmed in the past that Jesus is not the, the only begotten son of God. There was actually a pastor she was on TV with who was saying this, that Jesus isn't the only begotten son of God and, and she uh-huhs him. She nods her head along with him. She also does the whole speaking in tongues thing that that I'm 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 just not a big fan of, and she's also been divorced multiple times. And the, um, the scripture is pretty clear on that that it's it's not a wise thing to 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 do. Now I I want to pull up this audio for you uh, because you need to hear this audio of Paula White that's circulating out there to, to get an idea of the of the problems. It's not a very long video, but uh, this woman has been made a White House staffer. She's now going to be the outreach coordinator for the president of the United States for uh, for Christians. And I think that's problematic. God walks on White House grounds. I had every right and authority to declare the White House as holy ground because I was standing there and where I stand is holy. To say no to President Trump would be saying no to God. And, and I won't do that. We are in a spiritual war right now. Let every demonic network that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken. Let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. You want me to tell you what my thoughts are? The thoughts of the King of Kings, the thoughts of the Lord of Lords. I'm downloading heaven. She's talking in tongues there now. We, we, this is this is from and it's from a left wing news site that compiled this. You do need to know, but uh, they accurately capture a lot of the stuff with Paula White, uh, and it's it's problematic for me as a Christian uh, because she's wrong on so much of this stuff, and she's luring people in on the idea 
that if they will give money to her ministry, that they'll become rich. And now that 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 is this, the, I can see why the president likes that message. I can see why she's the president's spiritual advisor. I can see why people gravitate to this message. There are a lot of people hurting, and a lot of people are hurting because of financial missteps in their life, and I have been there. And I do believe that God helps you through these times. I can't tell you the number of times where Christy and I have been to our last $25 in the checking account. I have lived that life. Until I, I got my, my current radio job, um, our insurance wasn't great. And we're struggling with Christie's health problems. We're struggling with, with cancer. We're struggling with bills. We're struggling with medicine. We're struggling. She had a mastectomy right after we got married in 2000. She had it in January of 2001. And she had to have six reconstruction surgeries over a number of years after that. And our bills were piling up. And I'm making forty-seven, forty-eight by this time, $1,000. Student loans, I'm having to constantly defer my student loans because we can't afford the student loans and the medical bills. And we're at the last $25 in our checking account. And just out of the blue, somebody sends us money. Out of the blue, we, we, we find coupons that save us money. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who was saying that his, his wife was freaking out. They had a bunch of bills to pay. He was actually pawning stuff to be able to make ends meet, to keep the family going. And they went out to dinner one night, and they're sitting at dinner, and he makes the mistake of looking at his checking account, and he realizes they don't have enough money to pay the restaurant bill. And he's sitting there at dinner in his with his wife and his kids, and they don't have the money. And he's, he's sitting at the dinner table, checked out of the conversation, worrying and starts praying. And this older couple gets up next to him and, and hands him a coupon. And the coupon uh, gives them a discount on the meal at this restaurant enough that they got the money in the checking account to pay for the meal. That, that stuff happens. If you're not a Christian, I understand it sounds flaky. It sounds kooky. Uh, but that stuff happens. It, it, it's happened to me. But that doesn't mean that if you give money, God's going to give you a lot of money back. He takes care of you. And the problem with the prosperity gospel is that it doesn't say that God takes care of you. It says God makes you wealthy when you make the church wealthy. And the only people getting wealthy in this are the preachers. I got another problem with Paula White that she's been divorced uh, and I, I'm, I'm, there, there have been allegations of, of, of issues in her marriage and fidelity in her marriage on, on her part. They're, they're just allegations. I believe, I don't know that anything's been proven, but I got a real problem with, with that given scriptural admonitions. And I can, again, I can see why the president likes her, but I don't know that she should be in charge of faith outreach for the white house. And I think that when the president only won by 70,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, he can't afford to be alienating evangelicals. And there's a lot of data out there showing that while it's not a ton, there are at least 70,000 evangelicals in the country who are concerned 
And this hurts. Let me play this audio for you. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of he's God. He's the first fruit. You're the, he's the first fruit. He's the firstborn of many. Okay. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of God. Until I learned the third place that Jesus shed his blood to break the curse of poverty. And, and I want to hit that because poverty is, it a, is a curse. curse. Absolutely. You know, and, and people have to understand. Understand this so much more. The same thing with prosperity. The, the word redeem means to be brought back. In the Garden of Eden, there was no poverty, there was no hunger, there was no need of food stamps, there was no right. debt. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey. Right. God wants his children living voluptuously. I got no problem with a basketball player driving a Rolls Royce. I got no problem with a baseball player flying in an airplane. We expect but that. We expect that. Why can't a child that God has? Oh my, that's Larry Hutch and, and Paula White. And you can hear them agreeing that Jesus is not the only begotten son of God. This is the, and that's the prosperity gospel there, that, that somehow um, poverty is a bad thing. You know, Jesus's ministry was mostly to the poor people. Uh, to, to, have, to have them say that poverty is a bad thing uh, is actually in itself not a good thing to say. And I, I don't know why anyone at the White House thinks it's a good idea to have this woman as the faith outreach coordinator for the president when, when Orthodox Christianity views her, her prosperity gospel as a heresy. And you, you do need to understand that there are a lot of evangelical ministers because of their access to power, uh, they're willing to turn a blind eye to this. And I think Christians have to call that sort of stuff out. You know, it reminds me of the story of, of Amos, uh, Amos chapter seven, uh, Amaziah was the priest in Bethel. He was the priest of the king in, in Israel. Now Judah and Israel have been divided and Amaziah goes to Amos. Amos is calling on the kingdom of Israel to repent. And one of the things Amos says is that your prosperity right now is God trying to call you back. He made you impoverished. He made you poor and you didn't repent. So now he's being really generous to you, hoping that now you'll repent and you're still not repenting. So you're going to be destroyed. This is the best you have unless you repent. And Amaziah, the priest, uh, comes out and he says, hey, Amos, you got to shut up now. You, you need to go back to Judah because you're, you're, you're cutting in on my gig. This isn't helpful to me. You coming up here saying this stuff, I'm, I'm cashing in up here. You go cash in in Judah. And Amaziah would have been a prosperity gospel minister. Hey, I've got access to power. I whisper in the king's ear and I'm living lavishly as a result. And that's what we're seeing. And that's wrong. And here's the thing. And, and I don't mean to make some of you mad, but this is really going to make some of you mad. This really pissed off some people when I've said it before on a stage. I got booed for saying it, but I'm going to say it again. I get the sense there are a lot of Christian ministers who have access to the president now who are way more interested in what they can get from him than in his eternal soul. And I get the sense there are a lot of people who are so transactional in their friendship with the president, they don't really care where he goes at the end of this life so long as they get their preferred policy right now and get access to him. And I have a real problem with that because I take my faith seriously. You should be way more concerned with the eternal salvation of those around you than even they may be. And if you're in the prosperity gospel and you're telling people that God wants you to have your best life now, know the Bible is very clear. This is the best life the pagans will ever have. There's an entire psalm on this. 
the, the, the unbelievers, the people who mock God, this is the best life they're ever going to have. It is a mercy from God that they're living it up. You see the Hollywood celebrities who mock God and, and they're rich and they're wealthy. They're famous. You want that fame, but you got to cash in. You got to sell out your values to do it and you're not going to. You think, why God, why are they having such a good life right now when they hate you? Because it's an act of mercy because it's the best they're ever going to have. This is the worst you're ever going to have it and the best they're ever going to have. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the church right now who've bought into this prosperity gospel heresy, and now one of them is in charge of the White House faith operation who thinks God wants you to have your best life now. No, 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 he doesn't. And when you're living your life like that, what damage are you doing to your soul and the soul of those who might need you to call them to repent and believe? And I'm afraid there are a lot of people who are putting the president's soul at risk because they're not willing to call him to repent and believe. They just want good policy that they like and... Who cares about the rest? I got a problem with that. I got to play this clip from my buddy John King at CNN about the problem the Democrats are having. They're starting to get a little bit concerned about where the Democrats are headed. Candidates are pulling the Democratic Party to the left on health care, immigration, taxes, climate, corporations. The candidates, most of them anyway, want more government say-so, expansive and expensive policies like Medicare for All, carbon taxes, busting up corporate titans. The marquee takeaway, many of the candidates in 2020 believe in solutions that veer left of where the country was in 2018, 2016, 2012, 2008, or in any modern presidential election. The big question we can't answer until the voting starts next February, are those candidates in sync with their own party or too far to the left? Are they in sync with the country? Or too far to the left. Too far to the left. It is a concern. Listen to MSNBC talking about Biden in Iowa. Uh, And you would say momentum is everything when it comes to politics. But in this case, you do have there are two caveats that we always have to keep in mind. One is John Kerry in 2004 basically finished uh, even a month before Iowa, before he came roaring back and winning his party's nomination. And four years later, you had John McCain uh, having his entire campaign collapse around him uh, about this time. uh, And he came back and won his party's nomination. So it's not over for Joe Biden, but a lot of things right now are lining up in a way that are really going to test him personally uh, as a politician and also test his candidacy. That's right, Joe. And in addition to that, Joe Biden started off running a national campaign and he wanted to come in as the the best chance to beat Donald Trump and really tried to make a national appeal for it, maybe even bringing in looking at moderate voters, not just typical primary voters, which tend to be more to the left. But what we see in in that Iowa poll is he does not have an organization on the ground. When you're running a national campaign, you have to also pay attention to those details. And that's what, for example, Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren from day one, when their numbers were low, they kept building their, as they got money, they build their ground game. And that was essential. So I agree with you on the momentum. The, the only, I think that what can help Biden is A, his super PAC, if they can do some real good work there. But Biden's got to spend a lot of time in Iowa in, in convincing people to go caucus for him, because the only way you do that in Iowa is meeting the people. There's almost a level of desperation about Joe Biden's got to do something to save them from Elizabeth Warren. Here's Steve Ratner, also on MSNBC. So the answer to your question is yes. Uh, there is nervousness among the among the Biden uh, supporters uh, as to how Joe is going to sort of get from here to there, because the alternative, as you have said, 
is Elizabeth Warren, and that is an idea that strikes fear into the hearts of many Democrats. Whether you agree with her or not, it's the question of her electability. Her electability. Can she be elected? Now, listen, uh, being the nominee changes things, but you've also got to remember that back in 2004, John Kerry was ahead of George W. Bush right now. He was. But as John Kerry inched closer to the nomination, the Bush campaign poured money into defining John Kerry negatively. And there's a lot of ammunition out there for the Trump campaign to use against Elizabeth Warren. And the polling already suggests the president outperforms her in a number of key swing states. That will have an impact. Uh, You know, candidates matter. And the president may be losing the suburbs to the Democrats, but does he lose the suburbs to Elizabeth Warren? Again, the big issue for them is the 401k. If the president's going to keep their 401k safe, he's safe. 